uh, today has a lot of gravitas around it, uh, which just basically means that there's a lot of weight to it. Um, this is the culmination of our series. This is the last installment. And uh, if you're interested in going back and reviewing some of it, you can do that on your own time. But we've been in a series called Jesus People. And really, it's been a study in the topic of discipleship. And today is no different. It's actually kind of, it's this beautiful capstone to this section of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus has been modeling for his disciples and teaching his disciples, people who are learning from him, what it means to really carry his name, what it means to carry that authority uh, and, and that, that, that mandate to spread the kingdom of God everywhere we go. And so we're going to do a little review. You can go to the next slide. And um, our first week, so we're going to do a brief snapshot through all nine installments. Here we go. First week, we talked about the cost of discipleship, how following Jesus, it challenges us. It's not always comfortable, and sometimes it rubs us the wrong way, and yet Jesus still calls us to follow him. Second week, we talked about the call of discipleship and how that really communicates God's love to us, how we are not always the most lovable people in the whole wide world, uh, and neither are you. <laughs> uh, and, and that's a good thing, because that means that there is room at the table for everybody. And so, third week, we talked about the idea of contending in our faith, how uh, there are certain spiritual practices that we get from the Bible um, that we are prompted by the Holy Spirit. We have just, maybe it's just a feeling, maybe it's all signs are pointing in a certain direction and people are saying, hey, you should really fast and pray about this. And you, you shake it off and you're like, nah, 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 I really love food. And then, you know, somebody else mentions it and maybe a car drives by and the word fast in fast food <laughs> comes up and it's like, oh, okay, Lord. And so you follow these promptings of the Holy Spirit reminding you and getting it on your mind of, ah, oh, I should do this thing. But at the same time, if God is not calling you to that, which we'll talk to you about in a few minutes, that means you shouldn't fast and you should just be prompting the Holy Spirit. I love, thank you, Robin, for leading us today. And thank you, worship team, for leading us today because, man, in that last song, I don't know about you, but I felt something break. Uh, and maybe some of you didn't like it, and that's okay. <laughs> but, man, I, I just felt like this moment open up, and it was so beautiful to feel the Holy Spirit move among us. And so, Man, following the Holy Spirit, even when it's scary and being bold and, you know, stepping out in faith, even when it, it's not maybe the most popular decision to make. Uh, week four, we talked about the idea of carrying, uh, again, that Jesus, he empowers us as his disciples to go and carry his, his stuff to the world, carry his name, carry, you know, uh, his... The, the effects of his kingdom everywhere we go, that when we would pray for somebody, something would happen. Do you believe that? I, I do. Um, now, 
I also happen to believe that the answer is sometimes no, and so I got to be willing to accept whatever answer the Lord gives, but I pray in faith and, and walk in faith in that, and I, I'd encourage you to do so also. The fifth week, we talked about an, another group, a couple of groups uh, that interact with Jesus, so it's not just the disciples who are, you know, literally eating, drinking, sleeping next to you in camp, and following the directive of Jesus. It's not just those people. There's also this crowd of people who are following Jesus because they're hearing all the testimonies about what Jesus is doing. They're really excited about it. But then there's the other group that is not so jazzed about it, to say the least. And so we have characterized them as cynics. That's not to be confused with Greek philosophy of cynicism, but the crowds and the cynics. And the truth is that evidence of God's kingdom was showing back then, and it's showing today. And the resounding question in this whole series is, are you paying attention? And what are you going to do about it? Week number six, we talked about grace and how Jesus, the, it reaches this moment where he calls out to the crowd and he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's really, it's a gracious posture that the Lord takes with us where he's not forcing it on us, he's inviting it. He's inviting us to participate. And when we participate and we receive grace, it's an unforced thing. It's not something we do. It's something we receive. And so Jesus, he invites us to learn from him. Week number seven, we're, we're cooking along. Here we go. Week number seven, we learned that Jesus' people participate and partner with good found in his name. And that, um, you know, I think it was that particular week when um, actually, I don't remember what we covered specifically that week, but it was good. <laughs> you should read it and go back there. Here we go. There. I've been like flying by the seat of my pants. Here we go. So uh, week number eight, we, we learned about the how of the kingdom because there was, throughout this section, there's been this building tension where there's so much good that God is doing through Jesus and his ministry and the disciples and everything that is going on there. But there is an, a growing tension. And so it reaches this boiling point where really simply Matthew says, somebody brought a demon-possessed man to Jesus. Jesus cast the demon out. And then it immediately follows with this section where the Pharisees are accusing Jesus, well, really, you're only able to do that because you have a demon or you're in league with demons. And Jesus has said, no, 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 that's not how it works. Let me spell it out for you. And so we learned that week that the work of God's kingdom is only possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of good that can happen in the world, maybe even beneficial things, but if it's going to be associated and connected with God's kingdom, it's only by God's spirit that that's possible. That's a staggering thought. And we ought not to misattribute that to the enemy. Last week, we talked about the word sign because after 
all of this, the Pharisees say, teacher, will you show us a sign? Basically, Jesus, will you prove to us that you are who you say you are? And so Jesus, he, he rebukes them. He says, you know, a wicked and adulterous generation seek after a sign. The point wasn't that they were seeking a sign. It's that he'd already been showing them plenty of signs. And then to reach that moment, he basically said, okay, so the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he uses that Old Testament story of the prophet Jonah who went to Assyria, to the city of Nineveh, to, um, to preach repentance to them. Only that's not, you know, that's where the story ended up. That's not where Jonah started. Uh, and along the way, he got eaten by some big, large fish-like creature that I don't know what it exactly is, but it's big enough to fit a guy inside. And I trust that Jonah wrote down his actual experience. <laughs> and so, um, and that's really this beautiful picture about the resurrection. And Jesus said, just as um, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth for the same amount of time. And so that all gave us that picture and that, that truth that the Messiah, the Savior, the, the promised one is going to be revealed by one amazingly key feature of resurrection power. That up until this point, people who die, they just normally stay dead, right? Or people uh, throughout life, like, Maybe, you know, uh, there's that phrase, as soon as you born, you, you're born, you start dying. But uh, more than that, you know, as we go through life, we go through the muck of it, and people don't often recover without intervention in some sort of way. And that there is this power, this resurrection power that Jesus offers to you and to me to experience in our life so that we can experience new life, so that we don't have to stay dead this side of glory. Amen? Amen. So that's my snapshot. That all brings us to today, which is the topic of family. And I love that Jesus, well, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew, ends this section of what Jesus is doing and how Jesus is talking to people with the topic of family. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 12, 46 through 50. And the big idea today is that Jesus' people, that's you and me, we follow God's will and way. Jesus' people follow God's will and way. And we're just going to jump right into it because we, we have a lot to talk about. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 46, or you can follow along on the screen. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother 
and sister and mother. So, to unpack what we just read, I want to submit to you an idea. We may have talked about it at some point during the series, but 10 messages in, y'all, I'm, I'm forgetting some things I talked about <laughs> 10 weeks ago. And so, um, there is this way of looking at information. And there's this way of specifically looking about at information as it relates to groups of people. And uh, it's this, I don't know which discipline officially it, it falls under, but essentially people look at it to, to study groups. And the idea is a bounded set versus a centered set. Have any of you heard about this before? Maybe, maybe I've talked about it. No, good, okay, here we go. So here's this idea, is that when you talk about a group, there are those who are in and there are those who are out, right? Well, okay, well, I, yeah, enough said. Some people are in band and some people are not. Some people are on the football team, some people are not. Okay, but there's this sense of, within a certain group, there's this sense of belonging and what, what are the prerequisites of what, you know, identifies somebody who belongs versus somebody who does not, okay? And so one way, and it, both of these examples, they're not wrong. They're not right, they're not wrong. It's kind of morally neutral <laughs> in that regard. But it's an interesting picture. Both have their value in looking at data points. Sound good? Okay, so in order to, like, in, in some organizations, uh, in order to belong, you have to behave a certain way. There's, like, certain guidelines of, like, you can do this, you can't do that. Um, you, in some organizations, you have to believe certain things. Well, if you want to officially belong to us, you have to believe certain things. Um, like, pineapple is really awesome on pizza, for example. Now, that's a dividing mark for some people. Amen? Okay. Now, I personally love it, but I, that's not something I'm willing to create a bounded set around. But that would be like, that's a really trivial belief kind of thing and, you know, conviction. So, behavior, belief, um, and there's another B word. Um, but anyway, all that to say, there are certain, like, there, there's a, just there's a, a, a matrix that you go through. And, and when you check off these things, then at the very end of that list, you say, therefore, ah, you belong. You meet the criteria. Well done. Welcome to the club. And so you can see, so uh, um, with this illustration, so the bounded set, everyone who's inside the red little box, they're the ones who, quote, belong. And those who are outside, they don't. Okay, uh, Richard, you can go to the next slide. Uh, it's a little hard to see, but I wanted to try to get it in there anyway. So 
black dots, white dots, colors don't matter other than just to show you that there's a difference between the two. Um, and so there's, that was bounded set. Now there's centered set. And centered set is a value-driven way of looking at information. And so people who have a common value can partner around certain things. And so even if they don't all behave the same, they don't maybe don't all believe the same and don't the other be that I can't remember at the moment. Um, even if they don't check all those boxes, if they have a shared value, then they, they have something they share together. And so when looking at data points like that, what you're doing is you're looking at who is oriented or what is oriented towards that shared thing, that centered thing. And then who is actually pointing away. And so you're not talking about kind of like in the bounded set of like who fits within the square. You're actually talking about it doesn't matter where you're at on, you know, in, in proximity, as long as you're oriented towards the center, you belong within that, that set of data. Are you still with me? Okay, next slide. So, Jesus people, we follow God's will and way. And I would submit to you that the picture of family, there's, there are good things about a bounded set idea, so don't misunderstand me, please. But in terms of discipleship and the process of discipleship, it might be more helpful for you and for me to think about discipleship as a centered set way of thinking, where Jesus is at the center. And so it doesn't matter if you're super duper far away from Jesus, but you have that quickening in that moment and you, your thought and your heart turns to him you might be as far away as you can imagine possible from him, but you orient yourself that way. You're on that process of discipleship. You could be as close like some of these black, black ones, black uh, circles with arrows pointing away. You could be theoretically as close to the center as possible, but actually be pointed away from Jesus. And so, this is just a way of thinking about it. Now, what Jesus does in our passage is he kind of, he gives us an evidence. I would maybe even go so far as to say a primary evidence that somebody is a disciple. And that is that they follow the Father's will. They obey Let's unpack that. So, first slide. Jesus' people are connected to family through Jesus. This is all about family. So if we were to talk about the family group, the church family, as it were, we are connected through Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Now, where we get that is, so in verses uh, 46 and 47, we see, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, 
His mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. It's interesting to me. Now, we don't have all the details, so I'm using some creative imagining with this. We don't exactly know why it was that Jesus' mother and brothers, his actual physical kin, were not among the crowd. Maybe they had some shopping to do. I don't know. But it's interesting that in the way that Matthew records it, which I would be inclined to think matches what the Lord would want us to receive, is that there is somehow an in and an out dynamic at play here. That the crowd, ironically, just the people who are excited about Jesus <laughs> and what Jesus is doing, they are somehow the in, and Jesus' flesh and blood relation is outside. That's a strange idea. We'll cover more of that in just a moment. But what is it that connects them all together is Jesus. And so, we have this picture of, uh, it's kind of on the background there, where you have this picture of a group. Uh, have you ever done this? I'm, I am confident you have, where you kind of linked arms and shoulders with people, and you've kind of done a huddle kind of thing. I've done this with my youth kids before. Back when I was a youth pastor, we would get, do this huddle, and I'd you know, speak encouraging words over them. But let's say you weren't a part of the original group who started the huddle. There is that awkward moment if you're outside the huddle of trying to get into the huddle, isn't there? Yet, there's a tenacity of if you want to be in the huddle, if you want to be in, what does it take? It takes that orientation to say, hey, so-and-so, scooch over, here we go, and, and get into the huddle. Versus, and, and there's different commentators who, uh, this was a hard one for me this week because it's such a simple amount of verses, but there are some commentators who have pointed out that Jesus' family may have felt an entitlement to this interruption. Like, hey, Jesus, your mom's outside. Now, a good son ought to go and see what his mom wants, right? <laughs> and all the mothers say amen. <laughs> and, you know, and there should be some kind of a privilege that comes with that connection. And yet, there's something deeper going on here. There's something different about this. And so, how might we apply that idea of a, a family of people a people group that's connected through Jesus. Could it be that the church is meant to be a community, a people who's centered on Jesus? Yes, there are. Now, uh, when we talk about church, there are, are different things where we could create a bounded set around the idea of belonging to a church. That's okay. 
But at its core in the idea of discipleship, all we need to do is introduce people to Jesus and get them to orient themselves toward Jesus in some way. Now, that's not us doing it in our own strength. That's us partnering with what the Holy Spirit is doing in that person's life and responding as we have opportunity to, to witness. But as far as the church goes or, or how we as a people, as disciples of Jesus might be, may we have an emphasis at least on being centered on Jesus. Amen? All right, you can go to the next slide. So the second way that Jesus' people are family is that they are characterized by faith over blood. And so somebody interrupts Jesus in verse 47, says, your mom and your brothers, they're standing outside, they want to speak to you. Other gospel accounts in the New Testament point out that uh, the attitude of the mother and the brothers may have been that they thought he was kind of losing it a little bit. Like, Jesus, the things you're saying, they're not so popular anymore, and maybe this isn't the best PR move. Jesus, maybe lay off some of those illustrations, please. And yet, Jesus launches into this very offensive statement. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Now, I don't think he had any ill will towards that. And yes, maybe he was correcting the, the implication like we mentioned before, how, you know, if there was that, that attitude of, you know, superiority of like, ah, I have special preferential treatment. Um, but he asked the question, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And so that would lead me to the point of thinking there is something different about family in relation to Jesus that somehow, some way supersedes blood. Uh, I'm fortunate uh, that my parents are both living, um, and I'm fortunate that I, I have a sister, and I have, um, you know, I, I have some nephews and, and their whole family there, and I have my wife and my kids. My kids are my flesh and blood, and yet my priority in, in discipleship and in my life is to Jesus over them. And that's a difficult paradigm to think about. And uh, eventually, once we get there in Matthew, Jesus isn't done giving this kind of contrast. But that's what we are invited into by faith. What's interesting here is also, as the capstone of this section, Jesus has been moving away from his ministry to Israel exclusively. The people who he's blood-related to, 
cousins with, if you will, to those who are not blood, those who are not God's people by the blood covenant that way. And there's something more that Jesus is wanting to highlight here that there is, I think, faith and our participation by faith and not by some natural means is what connects us to Jesus. It's what characterizes us who are in the family is this thing called faith. And so Jesus' people, we follow God's will and way. Now, I have this illustration. Oh, no, back back up. I have this illustration up here. I hesitated to use it because I don't want to What's not being communicated here is like that old hymn, I'm in the Lord's army. That's not, that does not, is not what I'm saying. This picture is from the, the show called Band of Brothers, which, full disclosure, I've never actually watched because I never had a subscription to it. Uh, and I haven't gone on Amazon Prime to try to rent an episode or anything. But there was this idea, though, where they uh, did this, uh, video series, TV series, uh, called Band of Brothers, and it was based on this group, I'm assuming, of military people in World War II who were, had gone through this shared experience, probably, I'm assuming, and so if this is your show and this is your thing, Forgive me if I butcher it. But I'm assuming, based on it being a military sort of thing, that it, you know, shared experience through basic training, shared experience through combat and the daily life of being a soldier and everything in each battle that you go through, and that this is something that, at that period in history, it banded people together. So much so that even in one of my favorite Christmas movies, White Christmas, uh, you have Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. Uh, they're these two characters, and they're able to leverage things in business because, hey, I have this old army buddy who I can call on, and hey, he's a brother. I can call on this person and this shared sort of experience. So faith over blood. This, this experience over maybe even just natural relations, there's, there's a tie there that's, that's different for people who are in the armed services compared with us civilians. That there's this brotherhood, uh, and nowadays there are women who participate too, so a sisterhood you know, a family kind of atmosphere within these branches of government, within these, these platoons and all of that. So for the church, this brings me to the question of what is our view of church? And does it match Jesus' vision That's, that he explains here, where <clears throat> it's not just growing the church by having babies, but it's growing the church by really discipleship. 
What is our view? Now you can go to the next slide. So this is the final thought. Well, there's two more slides. Here we go. The third thing I see is that Jesus' people are committed to obeying what the Father says. And so in the rest of our passage, Jesus points to his disciples. He says, here are my mother, here are my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So that begs the question, what is the Father's will? There's, so, the most basic understanding of it is that the Father's will is that he wants you to be saved. He wants everyone to come to salvation through faith. He wants a really big family, if you will, a kingdom family. He wants everybody to take part. Not everybody is going to take part, but he wants everybody to take part. And so, but what's the doing aspect of it? Well, I'm glad you asked. So, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. So, if that's God's will, does that mean that I have to go out on a street corner and, like, with my Bible and thump it <laughs> and get people's attention and shout at them and <laughs> whatever? No, that's not what that means. Obeying what the Father says first and foremost is to, for yourself, to open the scripture both on your own and in community, that you would search the scriptures for his will. Because I believe, and I would submit to you, this is his word. And through what he says, he's communicating to you his heart his desire, his plan for your life. Not always like sunshine and rainbows and all of that, but that we would experience salvation, that we would experience new life like we've talked about. Now, obeying what the Father says, kind of like we had talked a couple weeks ago, is that when God's word explicitly says like a command and it's an imperative, he's saying, do this. Instead of waffling about it, instead of saying, God, do you really want me to do that? Really? Do it. Do that thing. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do I have to? Really? Love your enemies. Oh, did you really say that? Can't I do some hermeneutic gymnastics around that somehow, some way. No, it's there. He said it. So do it. And how Jesus characterizes it is that whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, some translations say whoever follows the will, whoever practices it. In the original languages, uh, it, this this word for obedience, it is somehow linked and compared with the idea of continual practice. And that, so we are committed, Jesus' people are committed to practicing what the Father says, practicing his will, putting it into our everyday life in some way. And so, 
you can go to the last slide there. So Jesus' people follow God's will and way. Landing the plane. Here we go. Discipleship and the Christian faith, the Christian community of faith, this is like a journey. It's like going on a hike together. Um, and usually, not always, but usually, at least if you hike a trail or something, there is some kind of a path. Might not be super well-defined, but there is a path <laughs> that you get on, and you don't want to deviate from the path too much because otherwise you'll lose your way from the rest of the group, right? Think back to that bounded set and centered set idea of family. If a family goes on a hike, let's, let's say the destination, quote-unquote, is Jesus, is communion with the Lord, being in eternity with him someday. If that's our journey together, then that means that we are a family of fellow sojourners, fellow hikers along the way. And some of us have, have more equipment in our pack and some don't. But we're all on this journey together. That, that word for obedience, I wrestled with that statement because I'm like, I know what it's saying, but I don't know how to... <laughs> it feels a little too bounded set for my liking where... It's like, yes, we are, we're centered on Jesus, but there's a very clear evidence of if you are centered on Jesus, what does that mean? That means that you're going to follow God's will in his way, which ultimately means whatever God wants, I submit to it even if it hurts. Even if I don't want that thing, I'm going to say, God, your, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. I'm going to submit to that. Whatever this book says in that kind of prescription sort of thing, I'm going to put myself under its authority. To follow in his way is to live life in light of what we see in here. Um, and that happens as we are growing in our faith. And that's why it's so important for us to participate in community. Um, going hiking alone can be okay and can be refreshing and can, you can have that nice uh, intimacy with the Lord in those times. But there's also something special when you bring a hiking partner along. And so I would submit to you this big idea, Jesus' people follow God's will and way. And that means that we, we participate together and we, we seek after him with everything we've got. Let's pray.